Good morning. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and someone will hand one to you. But Joshua chapter 7, keep your hands up. I'm going to start reading, and if you get your Bible, we'll, we'll turn to some other passages and you can follow along. But starting in verse 1, it says, But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, and son of Zimri, and son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now, the sacred things were the articles of gold, silver, uh, the material things that were of value. In the last chapter, God says, don't take those things. They're going to be dedicated to the Lord, and it's not for you to go and, and gain wealth for yourself that God is establishing the nation, and those things are to go into the treasury. Well, Achan... That wasn't the case. And notice something, because this is going to be central to our, our topic here. Achan is the one who, who took these things, but it says, So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, the whole nation. Continuing in verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone's quarry. They struck them down on the slopes, at this, the hearts of the people melted became, and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell on his face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing on your face? I love that. <laughs> kind of to the point there. Israel has sinned. They have viola violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have made liable they have been made liable to destruction i will not be with you any more unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction we're going to stop right there one of the most powerful things 
in our possession is our freedom to choose, to make a decision of what we will do. It belongs to us. I was recently dialoguing with a young man who's been going through some very intense spiritual warfare. And and his life has been one where he's been involved with a, a lot of things that he shouldn't be, you know, and the partying and the, the drinking, and he's come under a spiritual oppression where he has heard voices telling him there's no hope for you, and it's freaked him out. And he's wondering, well, is is it too late for me? Is there any hope for me? What's going on? I mean, I've been living this life for so long, and I was able to share with him, you know, God himself will not force you to do something. God has given you the choice. He will not force you to follow him, and neither can anyone force you not to. It is your choice. It is your decision that you make. And one of the things that is frightening about this passage, first of all, is that other people's actions can actually uh, affect me. That's a scary thing, to think that someone else's actions can have an effect on me. But even scarier, the second thing, is that my actions can affect someone else. We saw in the first verse that Achan is the one who, who took the stuff he wasn't supposed to. But what he did affected the nation of Israel. And you think, oh my gosh, can that really happen? Can can my actions have an effect on others? Can their actions have an effect on me? How how does that work? How is that fair? What's going on here and what is the purpose of this? And there are really three areas where we're going to see that this can take place. Three aspects where what we do or what others do has an effect on our lives. One is our family, two is the community, and three is the world, a lot larger picture. It starts in these phases. It starts in something small, and then it grows into a bigger community and actually has global influence. The choices we make affect other people. And it shouldn't be surprising. Some of these things should be obvious to us. For example, family. The Lord said in Exodus chapter 20, you shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven or above on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so we see that God is telling them that the the sins of the fathers will be affecting their children. Now, this does not mean that God is out to get the children. He says it will affect them for two to four generations, but his mercy goes on for a thousand generations. In other words, the responsibility of how these parents act whether they love God or not, will roll over to their children. Now, we recognize this. We see this all the time. It's not a coincidence that parents who are alcoholics end up with children who are alcoholics a lot of times. 
Why? Because that's the image they see. When a young man sees his father abusive to his mother, guess what? He becomes abusive to his wife. Why? It's a pattern. It's his example. It's what he sees. And his life is passed on. And the things we do affect those in our family. And it's obvious. Do you really think that you can do the things that are devastating to your life and it not affect those who are closest to you? I know of so many people, whether it's involved with alcohol, drugs, extramarital affairs, who have devastated their family because of the choice they made. And in their mind, it's like, I'm not hurting anybody, but it caused devastation to their wives, to their husbands, to their children, to their parents. Their family was brought down because of what they did. And so it it shouldn't be that surprising to recognize that what we do affects others. Now, it's important to recognize that it's not that God is out to get us. Okay, you did something wrong, you hated me, you sinned, so I'm going to get your children. That's not the case. In fact, Jesus talked about that in John chapter 9, when they saw a man who was born blind, and he went along and he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So it's not like God is out to get someone. God is actually trying to display his works in our lives, but what we do does affect other people. It affects our family. It affects the people who are around us. Now, it it starts in a small circle, the people we have influence over, but it grows. That circle grows. It's not just our family. It's also our community, or in this case with Aiken, it's the nation that they were there. And so we're going to look at also how it affects the community. We talked about this not too long ago in Romans chapter 12 when we were going through our series, Living This Life, and we talked about the need for community and how we have influence one for another. And in Romans chapter 12, it says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many from form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In other words, we're connected in this way. It's interesting because here the children of Israel for the first time are going into this land of promise, and we see once the opportunity comes... You're in this blessing of God. You've been able to now eat the fruit of the land. You're enjoying the place where you are, have been promised. And what happens? We see that someone gets greedy. Someone does what they're not supposed to. It's the same thing that happened in Acts chapter 5 when the church was getting started. And everyone was sharing and having things in common. And then we see Ananias and Sapphira. They lied about money that they gave trying to make themselves appear more righteous than they were. 
And whenever there comes an opportunity for God's blessing, there is the opportunity, the choice to do something contrary. And that is always the case. It always lies within our ability, what we are going to choose, how we are going to live. And so you come into this family of God and you find yourself, wow, I've got, you know, neat friends now. I've got people I can open up to. Yeah, it's great possibility for friendship. And there's also the great potential for harm. Because now you've, your family has grown. And one of the things that, that's very difficult as you come to a place of faith and you start opening your life up to people is the potential for people to be abusive to that relationship, to take advantage of you. It's amazing because people find out that I'm a pastor, that they think I can help them with all their needs. And so I have people, you know, oh, they come to, to Genesis and they're happy to be here. And next thing you know, they come up to me and they say, well, you know, we're having problems, you know, making our electric bill. And I'm like, yeah, me too, you know. And, and it's like, okay, they expect me all of a sudden to pull in resources to help them out. And then you start wondering, well, is, are you just here to get something? And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see people trying to use this community to benefit themselves. One of the great things that has taken place here is the charity that goes out, goes out from you. It doesn't go out from an organization. When we collected blankets, you produced the blankets. You guys made the chili that went down there. We didn't go out and buy it. You guys provided that. When we helped those families and those kids over Christmas, you picked the names. You supplied the gifts. You stepped in. This was our effort. It's not an organization. It happens with the individuals. And as the individuals step into that role, they affect those around us. We got a letter from Healthy Start saying, thank you so much for your involvement with our community. And it was addressed to Genesis, but you see, it, it wasn't Genesis, an organization. It was you and me who stepped into that role and affected others. And the same thing is true, and the potential is true. It also says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 and 26, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. For if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We are connected. And if one person hurts, we all hurt. If one person is honored, we all get the honor. There's a, a very real example of this in the news. Right now, there's a woman named Laura Silsby. You guys heard of her? She's the one who was taking 33 children from Haiti into the Dominican Republic. And she wasn't allowed to. And so she got caught, her and nine others that were with her. And, and at first thought, you think, oh, they're, they're going to go start an orphanage. It's a good thing. It's something that's nice. You know, why? Just cut them some slack. But then you find out this lady has got a history. She owes a lot of people, a lot of money. She's got warrants. She's got unpaid bills. She had people working for her that she didn't pay. 
And so all of a sudden it comes under suspicion and under suspect. And guess what? Now they start bringing the scrutiny down on all these Christian organizations. Why? Because Laura Silsby was a flake. She didn't do things the right way. She wasn't representing Jesus the right way. And so all those who are associated with Jesus are affected. And, and you see, it's just one woman. It's just one lady. What, I mean, but now she has had an influence on that whole nation and on all the Christians doing work in that nation and has limited a lot of things. It's brought some good awareness as well. But you see, it, it has also brought this cloud over those Christians who are doing things like this. And so we need to recognize that we are connected. What we do affects one another. And it does it for the good as well as for the bad. You see, what I want you to understand as we look at the man Achan and his influence on the nation of Israel is to recognize that just as one person can bring detriment to a people, one person can also bring benefit. Which do we want to be? And what are the choices we have to make to have the right effect on the people around us, on the community around us, the world around us? You see, when you're in violation to God, you're in violation to others. No one sins against just themselves. David, when he was busted for his adultery and his murder, his adultery with Bathsheba, killing her husband, Uriah, when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, and he finally confessed. It says, before you and you alone, I have sinned. You see, first thing he recognizes, I've done wrong to God. And it affected the whole nation. But it started with the relationship with God. And then we need to recognize that not only does it affect our community, and, and here I'm talking about our spiritual community. There was the nation of Israel here. It would be a church community. But it also affects the world around us. That's the wrong scripture. Well, we'll get to it. It affects the world around us. In Romans chapter 8, you can turn there with me. Starting at verse 20. Paul's writing to the church there in Rome, and he says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope 
that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning and is in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We see that Paul's saying that the whole earth is going to be liberated and brought back into the right order when we are liberated and brought back into the right order. But it was subject to futility when? When we fell. When man fell, the earth fell with it. And when man will be redeemed, bought back, and restored, guess what? The earth is restored. It's connected to us. And I know this is a difficult thing to understand, and I don't fully comprehend the magnitude of it, but humanity and all of creation are connected to each other. That creation is going to be liberated when man is restored. And the things that are bringing calamity to the earth right now are because of men. All society is subject to us. If you lie, it affects all of society. So they make laws against that, scamming people. If you have areas where you, you cheat or even murder. It, it affects all of society. It, it affects all the communities around us. It affects a whole nation based on how we act. The laws are put into place because we need them, because we fail to follow the right way, and so we make the wrong choices that influence all of society. And it's connected to each one of us. You see, and it's amazing. We always watch the news, and if there's a, a murder in a neighborhood, you know, they always go out and they go, well, we're in the neighborhood, you know, and we talk to the neighbor, you know, what did you think? Did you know your neighbor was a murderer? And it's like, oh, no, I didn't know. I'm, I'm, I, they always seem like a nice guy. And, well, what are you going to do now? Well, I'm freaked out now because who else is a murderer in my neighborhood, you know? <laughs> It it changes our perception. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh, we're vulnerable. Why? Because someone broke the law. Someone crossed the line. Someone was disobedient to the the rules that God has established, and it affects the society. And, And so here we see that it is having this effect on everyone. And what we do affects not only our family, not only our community, it affects the whole of society. And there's a reason we're getting to this point, and I want us to understand exactly what it is we're trying to to encompass and comprehend here. 1 John 3.11 says, This is the message you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother, Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Let's look at that. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 3. 
It's a familiar story, and it's one I think we've all heard Cain and Abel. Cain kill his, killed his brother. But let's look at what's going on here, because I, I think there are some things that will, will be important for us to understand, not only about Cain, but about how God deals with him. In verse 3 it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Okay, here's the story. God has prescribed a way to worship him. Abel did it. Cain did not. Cain is starting his own religion right here. Cain is saying, I am going to do things this way. I'm going to ignore what you have said, much like Achan said, I'm not going to listen to the the instructions you gave not to take those things that are designed or dedicated to you. I am going to do things my way. And so Cain is starting his own religion. And so Cain's the bad guy, right? Abel is the worshiper. Cain, false Worship, so God's against Cain, God's for Abel, right? Well, no, that's not what we see. Because now God dialogues with Cain. In fact, God never dialogues with Abel that we read of, but he does with Cain. And he goes on and he says in verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? You do not do what is right. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. It's in your court. If you're not careful, this is going to control you. And God reaches out to Cain and extends a hand of warning saying, be careful what you do. Because if you're not careful, this is going to have control over you. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. God gives a warning. God gives instruction. We Make a choice. God told the nation of Israel, don't take any of the dedicated things. They belong to the treasury. Achan took it. He made a choice after he'd received instruction. After he'd received warning, he decided to do. Cain received warning. God instructed him what to do. And he disregarded it and made a choice. The power to choose is incredible. The influence it has on you, on your family, on your community, on the world around you cannot be minimized. I don't think we want the full responsibility of the choices we make. We, we, we say we want our freedom, but then when we understand the scope of it, it can be overwhelming. You mean my decisions can have this kind of an effect? 
Well, if God gives you instruction and you say, I'm going to do this, you will bear the consequences. And so Cain killed his brother. So that's it, right? God's done with him. No. God continues to dialogue with him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Loaded question there. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? That's a verse that has become famous. And, of course, the answer is, well, yeah, you are. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. That verse intrigues me and it terrifies me. It's just trippy. Because God says, listen. Your brother's blood, it's crying from the ground. What we do affects all of creation. And so now you are under a curse, driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. This is going to happen to you because of what you've done. Your brother's blood has been spilled onto the ground. The ground is now going to reject you. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land. And I will be hidden from your presence so he understands the consequences of what he's done. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Now, first of all, it's greater than he could bear. He just killed his brother, but being a wanderer is too much. Isn't, isn't it funny how we balance things? You know, I killed you, but now I'm going to be a wanderer. Oh, no. You know, it's like, wait a second, buddy. What you did was a lot worse. And then he goes on and he says, and everyone's going to be out to kill me. Now, we have no reason to believe that was true. There's nowhere where God says, I'm going to have everyone kill you now. But you see, what Cain had done is taken what he had done to Abel, and he had put it now that everyone thinks like I do. Everyone is out to kill me. Why? Because I was out to kill him. And it's amazing how we take the things that are wrong with us and we put them on other people and they affect our lives. And he says, everyone's out to kill me. And then God goes on and he says, but the Lord said to him, now, okay, God's, God's against Cain, right? Cain was the false worshiper. Cain is the one who didn't listen to the instruction of God. Cain is the one who killed his brother. But God is still dialoguing with Cain. I think that's important to just understand. And notice what God is doing. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that one who found him so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, I've always heard the mark of Cain, and everyone speculates, what is the mark of Cain? You know, what did it look like? Was it check mark on his forehead? You know, what is the mark of Cain? And I've always thought, well, the mark of Cain is to identify him that he's the bad guy. And so he's marked as the bad guy. But that's not the case. 
The mark of Cain is saying, I'm still going to protect you. Even though you did this wrong, God is still concerned about the murderer. Galatians tells us that we will reap what we sow. That our actions will produce either good or harmful results. God told the nation of Israel, I set before you life and death. Choose life that you may live. God instructs the nation of Israel, don't take the dedicated thing. It belongs to me. Achan makes a choice, and it's going to cost him his life. It's going to cost his family their lives. We're going to talk about that more Thursday in depth. But before Achan is put to death, Joshua says, My son, what have you done? He calls him his son. You see, God's heart is postured in a way that he wants us to make the right choice. And even when we make the wrong choice, he is still out to turn us around. But there are the results of our disobedience. 1 John 4.21, it says, And he has given us this command, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Whoever loves God needs to love his brother. He puts them together. And disobedience to God leads to this distortion and corruption and this breakdown in society. Disobedience to God is what leads to the lying, what leads to the murders, what leads to the stealing, what leads to those things that causes decay and corruption. Description. I was going to make up a new word there. Disobedience to God is what brings us down. And you see, we have to recognize that there is a choice that we make. In Joshua 7, verse 13, it says, after this takes place, they are routed. God tells Joshua, get up. This is what happened. Someone did what I told them not to do. And you need to take care of it. In verse 13, it says, go consecrate the people, separate them, tell them, consecrate yourselves. Now, where did we hear this already? We heard this in chapter three, verse five, consecrate yourselves to the Lord for tomorrow. I'll do amazing things among you. When we talked about consecration means setting yourself aside for God. He consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, but something different is happening tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, that which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. Okay, here's the heart of what we're getting to. You want to stand against the enemies in your life, then you need to remove the disobedience in your heart and in your life. You cannot stand against your enemies if you are living a life that is disobeying to what God has instructed you. You cannot do it. We want to. 
We try to. We toy with it. We, we start our own little way of doing things just like Cain did. We, we think no one's going to see what we've done just like Achan did. And then we wonder why. Why am I encountering this problem? Why is this happening to me? What is going on? Why am I facing this? Why am I falling? Why am I struggling? You cannot stand against your enemy unless you remove the obstacles that are bringing you down. And God is making you aware, making me aware of those things in our lives that are holding us so that we can move forward into a life of victory. You see, there is something in your life that is holding you back. All I have to do is say that, and you know what it is. You all know what it is. I don't have to go, you know, with you, I think, oh, I know what yours is. God knows what it is, and God always tells us beforehand. I don't need to tell you. The Spirit has already done that in each of your hearts, saying, I need you to move away from this. Know this, that God is telling you to move this out of your life so that you can stand against the enemy and you can push your life forward, that you can enjoy the fruit of the land, the fruit of life, the things and blessings that God has for you. And know this, that God is not against you. He is patient. He is hunting you down. He is trying to reason with you and get you to understand, and he will be faithful to finish what he's begun in you. But you cannot stand against the enemy unless you get rid of the disobedience. And that's going to be a lifetime project. It's not like, okay, I got rid of it. I'm good to go. Well, tomorrow you're going to have some other area, and then God's going to reveal something else to you. And it's amazing. I, I, when I became a follower of Christ all those years ago, I actually thought I was better than I am now. Back then, I was pretty oblivious. You know, I, it's like, oh, that's wrong too. You know, I thought that was normal. And throughout the years, God is enlightening me, helping me to see areas of disobedience. And he, he speaks and he says, this is wrong. You need to remove this from your life. And see this pride? You need to let that go. And you see this, you're, you're harboring anger or unforgiveness, and you need to let that go. And he's showing me constantly things. And unless I get rid of them in my life, I cannot stand against the enemy. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to close with this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now, we just saw that unless we put away this thing, we will not be able to stand against our enemy. Paul is picking us up where that's leaving off, and he tells us what we need to be able to stand. Stand firm, verse 14 then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted 
with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The things that he's talking about here, he starts off with truth. Everything would get tucked into this belt. The skirt, the breastplate, the sword, sheath, It all attaches to the belt. Truth has to be a part of our lives. God desires truth in the inward parts, the scripture tells us. And then he talks about a breastplate of righteousness, doing what is right, living what is right. Walking in peace, not in vengeance, but in wanting the community with others around you as well as with God. What's taking place here? God is dealing with character. These are character issues. Truth, righteousness, peace. These are things that make up our character. If you want to stand against the enemy, you have to have the right character. You have to be living the right life. You see, it doesn't matter if you know the truth, but aren't walking in it. Achan knew the truth, but he didn't do it. Cain knew the truth, but he disregarded it. It doesn't matter if you know what is right and if you choose what's wrong. Achan chose what was wrong. Cain chose what was wrong. But what you do and how you live, your character, is what is going to help you stand against the enemy. Because he he can't attack a person who is yielded to God. And so what we need to recognize is that who we really are really matters. It really matters. And God wants us to be genuine. He wants us to be the real deal. He doesn't want us to play Christian. It it would be better to be honest in where you're at than to ignore God and not change. Even when Cain went off to start his own religion, God talked to him and said, hey, you need to make the right choice. God is calling each of us to make the right choices in our lives. And here's... The incomparable thing. Just as one man brought down the nation in this battle, 36 men were killed because of his sin against God. Just as one person can cause so much calamity, one person can cause so much good if they will be obedient. It works both ways. And so the potential for each one of us to have a positive influence on our families, on our community, in this world, it rests in your choice, in your hands, in the person you and I decide to be. Hearing God's voice and saying, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to be a person of character. I'm going to believe and walk in the things that you do. God says he will be with us. He'll go before us and that 
the enemy will not be able to stand against us. And so again, we find ourselves at a crossroads. Able to do tremendous good or tremendous bad. And it all begins with choosing to obey. Choosing to believe. Choosing to have faith in what God has said. But make no mistake, if we live for ourselves, you are affecting the lives of those around you. It's just the way it is. We are connected. You're connected to your family. You're connected to the community here at Genesis. You are connected to the society that we live in. And your choices will have an effect on all those areas. Let's make the right choices. Let's pray. God, it can be frightening to think of the potential, the potential harm we can do, but it can be exhilarating to think of the potential good we can do. And Lord, just as you spoke to Achan and just as you warned Cain, you you speak to us and you've given us the scriptures to give us guidance and how and what to live. And Father, it now rests in our choice. And God, you are prompting each of us to a, a life more committed to you. Jesus, you said that we are to be holy even as you are holy, that we are to be perfect even as God is perfect. And Lord, that is a life process. It's not going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen in a month. It's not going to happen in years. It is going to take our entire life, and you're working within us to produce that perfection. And ultimately, it will be accomplished when we are before you. But until that time, God, you are drawing us to this holiness. You are calling us to live a life that will affect the world around us. You've asked us to go and make disciples of all men. And that begins with each heart choosing to set themselves apart for you. To put away the thing that is unclean. The thing that is bringing us down. Those things that are hurting our family and our friends around us. To stop the the lying, to stop the selfishness to stop whatever it is that you have revealed to us needs to be put away. But the intent, Lord, your intent isn't just to put us away. It is to put us on the right path. And so I pray that you would help us to do that even here today. Father, as we stand here, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, God. 
we each hear your voice and desire, Lord, to be set apart for you. We, we want, Father, to step into the right choice and the right decisions that will influence those around us in a healthy and good way. And Father, we know that you are aware of all that's going on with us, and, and we are thankful that you are patient, that you are merciful, Lord, that your desire is not to, to put us away, but to put us on the right track. And so we commit ourselves to you, Lord. We, we acknowledge that today you've touched us, you've ministered to us, that you've spoken to us, that your word has resonated within our souls and Lord, we desire to follow after you. And Father, there, there is an army here that stands before you saying, God, I want to move forward. That we don't want to be hindered by the enemy or anything in our lives. That we want to have lives of substance that will honor you and influence the world around us. Use us, fill us with your spirit. Empower us to do what we cannot do without your help, God. But we can do all things if you will strengthen us, Jesus. And so we ask for that strength. Lord, we pray that you would bless for your name's sake, that you would be honored. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.